Hey, so we're kicking off, no pun intended, actually it is very intended, kicking off this series upon further review. Um, and it's really all about instant replay. And if you will, just allow me to kind of take this analogy for the next several weeks and break it down in a thousand different ways. And I promise you, there'll be stuff for you whether you're a sports fan or not a sports fan. This has been our habit to get involved in sort of a football deal series in the new year and mostly it's just a vehicle for us to do some things that we'd like to do so that's what we would like to do and if you know much about football or you know the history then you know that instant replay has sort of a a sordid history it it was around then it wasn't around then it came back different and it's fascinating and many deep and significant applications the The people who have been against it over the years, the detractors, maybe you have heard of, maybe you're among them. They say it it takes the human element out of the game. We have a ref and the ref is supposed to do his job and it is what it is. You know, you call it as you see it and that's just the deal. And then there have been many proponents of instant replay over the years and the proponents ultimately have won out over and over and over again. And I promise you, I'm no prognosticator nor a prophet, but I I bet they will continue to win out. Many people are saying today that instant replay has run its course in the NFL. That's not even close to the case. And the reason why, it's not because I like it. I I don't have an opinion, really. But instant replay is going to be with us. And the reason it will is just really one very simple, one simple reason. Even the best referees sometimes what? Now, you, you may not understand this or comprehend it yet. You will by the time the series is over. We used to not even know when somebody got it wrong. We used to not even know that. But now we do. And another way of saying this, even the best referees sometimes get it wrong, another way of understanding this or maybe saying it that applies to all of us in the room and listening online is this. We are what? We are human. And this simple three-word sentence is our way of saying, well, we'll say it the way Alexander Pope said it, the Enlightenment poet, to err is human. In other words, to be human means that error is inextricably part of your DNA. And we know this, and we understand it, but we don't really accept it. In fact, we don't like the idea that it it is. We'll say broadly with a big 30,000-foot umbrella, of course, to err is human. Another way we say it is nobody's... Right, right. But we don't consider this to be a part of our daily life. And so this series will help us maybe rethink that. I think it'll help us reshape our identity and where it comes from. I think it'll put us in a place where if we'll engage in the very thing that I'm proposing that we as a individuals and a church family engage in, it could change the landscape of who we are, but it most definitely will change the landscape of who we are becoming. And that's what I hope. That's what I hope for. It's been a long time in the making. It's good for us to think about it. But before we go any further, let's, let's grasp how this works how instant replay works because you may not know and, and maybe you do know and it's very different in very different sports but our, our prototype is the NFL for the moment uh, just because um, you know it's happening right now and all that so what happens in the NFL is a coach it could be any coach um, decides that he doesn't like a play and so he throws this red flag and we call that the, what do we call it the challenge flag that's right and it could be any coach it, it really could be um, <laughs> 
it, it just happens to be, you know, this guy a lot. And, um, and if you're a Patriots fan, then, you know, you're in Broncos country. What did you expect? And so, and there's very few things that we can really laugh about these days, but this is certainly one of them. Um, and so usually when a play happens, uh, and not, not all plays are challengeable, but some are, and so the play occurs, the coach says, I, you know, I, I, that's not what I saw. And often it happens because he's got somebody telling him in his ear what they saw, and there's a whole process, that's more to come later, but they throw a flag. Usually they get it from their pocket, but occasionally, I mean, they keep it in some strange places depending on the coach. <laughs> and so I, I have no idea why... Belichick kept the flag in his sock. I mean, that's just especially just weird, right? But he did, and then he, then he dropped it, and, and that, that's what happened. And so when that occurs, the red flag hits it. I've, you've seen some coaches throw it with some gusto. I don't know if you've caught it. Every now and then a coach will hit a ref with the flag, and you feel like that had some stuff behind it. He should probably engage in some therapeutic counseling. Uh, the ref makes his way to the, you know, Microsoft paid a lot for this, to be the NFL technology provider in this regard, and he, he reviews the play. And the play is reviewed. It's, it's a big deal, and, and there's a lot behind this as too, this whole process that happens at that point. And then eventually that referee will step to the center of the field, and he usually says these three words. Let's say them together. You ready? Upon further review. And so, just hit pause for a moment and know that the detractors of instant replay, they, they have said many times one of their reasons that they don't like instant replay is that it takes out the human element of the game. That a ref has a responsibility to make a call in the moment. And when he makes the call, that's the call. That's just what it is. And that's the talent that ought to be on the field. And it takes out the human element. But the debate behind the scenes is that proponents will say it does the exact opposite. It brings into the game more human element. Now, this has nothing to do with the sermon. This just is just the fun part. That I, if you learn about instant replay, it's just interesting to consider and ponder. But if you're a thinking person, you'll apply what I'm about to say to the rest of where we're headed. In football, there are how many players on the field? 11 for each team, right? What does that make? It's simple math. Even I can do that. And 22 players on the field. And when these players are on the field, we evaluate them. This is, the, this is the job of the spectator. We evaluate them. And you do it all the time. This is where the term armchair quarterback came from, right? And you don't do it as much as the announcers do it. And they do it every second of the game. It's what they're paid for, the color commentator. But both of them, if you notice, they no longer have a separation of duties. They all evaluate, and that's what they do. And it is the human drama, the human element that makes football worth watching or any sport, really. And the commentators, us, we, we, we look at it, we say, great catch. Or we say, he totally should have caught that. When you don't have the ability to run 10 yards, <laughs> you and I, we say things like, he totally should have caught that. I remember being at an NFL game. Our seats were great. We were just up from the field, and I saw 
a gentleman who makes millions of dollars run full speed. If you haven't seen it in person, there's nothing like it. He ran full speed. He's got a helmet on his head, a, a thing covering his eyes, and a bullet coming at him. And he reaches over his shoulders, no look, and catches it. And I thought, I don't care what he's paid. He's not paid enough. But I can critique him from my living room while I'm eating Cheetos. And so this is what we do. And so the proponents say instant replay doesn't take out the human element of the game. It adds to it, and here's why. There's not just 22 players on the field. There's 29 players on the field. There's seven referees. Maybe you didn't know this. There's a referee, an umpire, a down judge, a line judge, a field judge, a side judge, and a back judge. And you are going to critique them anyway. In fact, the best part of critiquing a game is to critique the calls that are made by the referee. And so all kinds of blame shoved here and shoved there. This all applies to your spiritual life. And some of you are already making some of the connections. And so when they added instant replay in for this most recent set of years in the NFL, essentially what they're saying is, look, they're all on the field. Let's all play. <laughs> let's all play. And let's bring every aspect of the game under the scrutiny of the people who are watching. And that's exactly right. And so here's the deal. Through this series and as we walk through it, understand this. Instant replay is our analogy. It's our metaphor, okay? It's our, it's our means, but it's not our end. And the comparisons are actually endless. And the nuances that are connected to this technology and how it works in the game well, you're going to find some spiritual applications that you didn't even know were there. And we'll unearth them. And the reason why we will unearth them, and the reason why we'll talk about it and spend some weeks digging in, even though instant replay is our analogy and our means, it's not the end. Our end is living and loving like Jesus. That's our goal. That's our end in mind. And I believe this analogy is a tool that will help us lean into exactly what God wants for us. And this tool, this instant replay thing, it's not been a static tool, and its origins are fascinating, and how it's developed is, is it has an incredible history. It's, it's really interesting. But what I'm proposing is that we make use of something similar in our own lives that you and I can engage in, in a daily way, a way to reflect on not just who we are, and not just what has happened, but who we are becoming. That's my hope. And so I, if we're honest, and I know it's important for us to be honest right now, because what I'm asking you to do is, is pretty, uh, well, there's just, just not much pleasant about it. I mean, honestly, the idea of instant replay for your life and for my life has zero appeal I know, I know what we've been through. I know the things that you're dealing with. I know how hard our life is. And honestly, at the end of the day, who in the world would want to relive some of the things that we have to live? And so the idea of reliving it, oh my gosh, once was enough. Can we just put it behind us? Can we just move on? And if we're being totally honest, we wouldn't mind instant replay for some people we live with. We just don't want it for us. Maybe you've seen this. Hey, sweetie, I'm not seeing the life jackets. Well, you should. You packed them. 
No, you packed them. No, you packed them. You said I won't forget to pack the life jacket. I won't forget jackets. to pack the life jacket. I, I'm sorry, I have to. I have to challenge that. Well, you do have one left, so. This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, protecting your home and auto with Progressive. You know, my favorite part was when you said, obviously, I won't forget to bring the life jackets. <laughs> All right, so uh, we, we don't uh, promote Progressive, but we did want to show that. And so you get that insurance at your own risk, as all insurances. And so we, we don't really want instant replay. I mean, we, we would love it. We would love it for other people, you know, because how many times would we be vindicated if we had it? But what we're asking each of us to do is to take that skill of critique and evaluation that many of us have so thoughtfully honed over the last few years and directed them at other people, entire groups, spouses and friends, neighbors and coworkers, and set that aside for a period of time and instead direct that different skill that we'll develop over the next few weeks at our own lives and our own hearts. That as, as a church family, as followers of Jesus, that we would develop our own daily habit of thoughtful reflection, considered reflection about how we are walking with Jesus, living with each other, and loving well or not well, and that we would engage in it thoughtfully. And I know that that is a, a tough sell. It's a big ask. And it's a big ask because for most of us, we have one of two perspectives about reflecting or admitting we're wrong or knowing that we have to make a mid-course correction. Uh, some of us in the room, our perspective is along these lines. Uh, I am who I am, you get what you get. Nobody wants to admit that, but if you did want to admit it, how many of you would say, this is pretty much how I feel about me? Any hands? Hey, look at that. Some bold people. That's it. I am who I am. And it could be that you thought, you know, I've lived five decades. What's going to change now? And it could be that some of you feel this way because you grew up in a house that was centered around critique and it took you years of thoughtful reflection and even some counseling to get to a place where you were able to occupy the two square feet that you take up and say, this is who I am. And that's no small feat. And so you have wrestled and struggled and finally got a hold of your identity and nobody is going to wrestle that away from you. And so you have this perspective. That's, that's just who I am. You get what you get. I've been this way for a long time and this is just how it is. Not much is going to change me now. For some of you, it's because of how you wrestled it into your life. And for some of you, it's an old dog, new trick thing. And you get to decide which of those is you. But if this is your perspective, then I understand that, the idea of engaging in thoughtful reflection and second-guessing yourself, some might say, or asking other people to speak into how you live and how you love can feel like a very threatening, maybe unnecessary effort or exercise. But I'm guessing, if this is who you are, then there's probably some people in your life that would wish that you might reflect a little bit or that you might be open to a gentle critique 
or the suggestion that, you know, we turn left, I think we should have turned right. And that, of course, is an, I mean, with driving, has to do with your own heart or how you treat other people. Or maybe where during a difficult season where you might be coming up short. And if that's the case, that's a tough spot to be. And so, some of us are in this place. Some of you are in the complete opposite place. You don't struggle with I am who I am and you just get what you get. You struggle with this idea. That, are, you, are you kidding me? You want to be open to critique? I, I'm trying to meet the expectations of a dozen different people. My kids, my spouse, my boss, my neighbors, and you want me to add me to that list? No way. Absolutely not. I, every day I live, I'm trying to meet these expectations and I'm just tired of doing it. And if that's you then you might find yourself thinking, this sounds like a, a recipe for self-torture. And you, if you're in this category, then you're on a treadmill of people-pleasing that is absolutely going to make you feel exhausted at the idea of incorporating a habit into your life where you're inviting this or wanting it or even find it to be healthy. And, and if you're like some of us in the room, then you ping pong back and forth between these two. We're here for a while and we just get so frustrated and exhausted that we switch over to this one like a little switch inside of us and we just say, you know what, that's enough of that. This is how I want to live and that's just how, and then we just can't stand that anymore. Relationships are broken and people withdraw and we find ourselves in this place again. How many of you identify with either the ping-ponging or one of these perspectives when it comes to reflecting and considering your life? How many of you identify with it? Let me see your hands. How many of you find it exhausting? Yeah, me too. And so through this series, what we want to do is ask this question. We want to ask, what if? What if both of these perspectives faded into the background? In your life, what if there was no ping-ponging back and forth? What if in your family or your closest relationships or the people that know you best, what if they suddenly encountered a version of you that did not get defensive when somebody critiqued you? What if that even changed in your workplace? What if, instead of these ideas shaping who you are and how you think, what if the foundation of your identity was a bit more stable and a bit more certain? And what if it came from a place of love and acceptance instead of performance and achievement? What if the values by which you began to consider the question, how am I doing? What if those values were stable and determined and open to growth from the people that loved you the most? What if there were some ideas that would help lead you to a place of new peace that you were finally open to because these perspectives began to fade into the background? What if? 
What if you had people in your life that were able to speak into these things and you walked with them in a way that allowed you to live and love more like Jesus? So, I mean, here's the deal. We will always be evaluated. Always. We'll be evaluated by other people. We'll be evaluated by ourselves. Some of you in the room are your worst critics. And some of you have invited other people to be critics in your life that you would never even want to go to lunch with. We will always be evaluated. But what if you learned to thoughtfully balance growth, becoming more like Jesus, little bits, not overnight, over the long haul? What if you learned to balance growth like that and self-acceptance, loving yourself the way God loves you? What if? I believe that's the kind of discipleship or learning that scripture describes that none of us ever get to a place where we get to say I am who I am and you just live with it and that when we do say that mostly it's a reaction to feeling less than and that we don't have to be about the business of people pleasing and meeting the standards and values of a dozen different people in our lives that God has put you in a place where you can discern those for yourself and people along your path your journey can help you sort those things out. And when we reflect on scripture in that way, we get to go down that path. And I know some of you are thinking, aren't we in church? Isn't going to get to the Bible sometime? And yes, 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 we will, of course. And, and you won't be all that happy when we do, I promise you. Um, but there will be some other things that poke in that regard. But this analogy framework that I'm giving you lays the foundation for where we're headed for the next few weeks. So David, King David, wrote many of the Psalms. He engaged in the reflection that we're describing. And when he did, he kept an open heart and he invited God to be a part of that process. Before you invite other people, you have to allow not only the Holy Spirit, but the words of God to begin to do the kinds of things that need to happen in our hearts. And so to give a foundation or a framework for this, We'll start just for a few minutes today, just to put your toe in the water just a little bit. Psalm 139. You can read it later, the whole thing on your own. But David begins this way, and he says this. In fact, let's just say it together. You ready? You have searched me, Lord, and you... David begins with this because he's declaring. He's writing a song, a song of worship, and he is declaring that, that God sees you and that he knows you. And now this, the word, it's in the Hebrew for know is this word yada. And, and this word yada means, it's not that God knows your name. Of course he does, but he knows you. There are a thousand ways that this is described in scripture. He, he, he knows how many hairs are on your head. It, it, that's not the detail that matters. The, the detail that would matter is that God knows the most intricate things about you that even you don't know. You don't know how many hairs are on your head. And for some of you, I mean, that number's changing rapidly, right? <laughs> you don't know, but God does. He knows exactly. Now, is that the idea? Is that the point? Is that the, is that the detail that helps God 
and you know each other intimately. No, no, no. It's the analogy of saying God is aware. He knows what you want, even when you think what you want is this, but he knows. I know that's just a ruse just to throw people off the scent. God knows. When David says that you know me, he's saying, God, you know me better than I know myself. God knows what you want. He knows how you've been hurt. He knows how you've been disappointed. He knows when your ego is enraged. He knows all of it. He was there. He was present. He didn't leave you. I know. We've all been a part of families that for the good or for the bad have made us who we are today. God is fully aware and he knows. And that's what David says. And then he goes on to describe how God knows him. And he says it this way. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Let's say that line together. Say it with me. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, knew it completely. David had this unique relationship with God, and I don't understand it. I aspire to it. I want to know God the way David did. I want to uh, have the affections that David had. I know many mistakes in his life, of course, and those are well chronicled for us. Thank goodness ours are not as well chronicled. But when David says this, you don't have the impression that he is saying it with any shame or any fear. Most of us would identify with this statement. I mean, I know you, you might like me and we might be friends, but if you knew everything about me, you would want nothing to do with me. How many of you have thought that very thing? Let me see your hands. Yeah. David doesn't feel that way about God. David has this sense that, that God loves him, not in spite of these things, that this is just part of who he is and that God knows the whole of it. And God knows you this way too. And so David has no fear. Shame isn't center stage. You don't get that he's hiding anything because he knows it would be foolish to try to hide it. God knows. He knows. And then David says, with courageous faith, there's a lot of verses in between, but at the very end of this psalm, he says, with courageous faith, this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my, what? This word, uh, it's, it's one word in, in the original Hebrew, anxious thoughts. Probably the, the best translation is when we uh, perseverate. You, you ever perseverate? You know what that even means? Per- perseverate means when I take a thing and I have a thing and I look at it and I fiddle with it and I, I'm done with it, but I can't let it go. And so I'm just going to ponder it and mess with it and fiddle with it and pick at it. And this is what I do. I'm going to perseverate. I've got a, I've got a failure and it just takes up the front of my attention and I perseverate. I've got a worry or a concern and I can say that, yep, I was in church and, and, and they said lay it at God's feet and I did. But as soon as we got to lunch, it came roaring back and there I am fiddling with it again. Does anybody perseverate? Do you perseverate? I perseverate a lot. And so this word, of course, 
is translated in the NIV, anxious thoughts. And so a relationship that isn't going well, it comes and it pokes at you and you ponder it. That's, that's what David is talking about. The issue that creates concern or worry, that's what David is talking about. The thing you can't fix that's in your past that somebody keeps bringing up or maybe your own guilt or shame reminds you of, that's what he's talking about. So he says, you know my heart, same word, yada, and you know, yada, same word, my anxious thoughts that I perseverate on. So do what then? What is God supposed to do in this equation? What's he doing? Search me. Search me. And then he says this, and I really don't like the translation, so I'm going to help you adjust it a bit. See if there is any, what? Offensive way. And so we, we have in mind somebody being offended. You know, that they've withdrawn or recoiled from us or that they're, they're mad at us or they, they hold some recriminating thoughts toward us. That's not what is meant by this word. Uh, this, this word has in mind that there is an idol, uh, a great word in scripture, but what is meant by that word is that there is something in our heart or in our mind that is taking God's place. And so God desires to be the object of our affections, the attention that we often give to other things and other people and other circumstances. God says, you know what? Keep your heart focused on me. Jesus said it this way. Seek me and you will. The writer of Hebrews said this. Fix your eyes on, on Jesus. That's right. And so it's all through scripture. And so what David is saying, see if there is something that is distracting me from paying attention to you, God. And if there is, if there is, Lead me in the way everlasting. Just remove that out of the way. Just nudge it out of the way. And David asked this of God. In fact, here's my bet. I bet if you prayed this prayer today, in this place, in your home, or in this room, God would answer it for you. I believe this is the, the one prayer God answers without delay and immediately that doesn't mean that you'll hear him, but I do believe that he desires desperately to gently, with your open hands, place himself in the center and you let that thing go. So is there something in me that's anxious, David says. This is a, a moment of reflection that you're being invited into. A moment to pray and a moment to seek God in a way that says, uh, offensive, I don't know, Lord, what has taken up my vision that is a bit in the way that keeps me from seeing you. So what is it? Is it your health? Broken friendship? The pressures of the weak? The hopes that you are afraid to put your weight down on for the coming month? What is it that has distracted you from trusting God with the entirety of your life? What is it? You probably know it right away. But if you don't, I believe that God stands at the ready to help with that. And say, you know, the thing, the thing you're not trusting me with, trust me with it. You can perseverate on it if you like, but it will only stir up your stomach and ruin your day. And you'll miss what's right in front of you that is beautiful. So don't do that. Trust me. Trust me with it. So what would that look like for you right now, today, in this place? A bit of an instant replay for you. 
to hit pause and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Why don't you bow your heads? We'll do that very thing right now. In fact, you can pray this prayer with me. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Just pray that to him right now. Lord, see if there's anything in my life or my heart that has replaced you my one affection, my one focus. And so Lord, we see you leading us to a place or an issue or a thing that we feel like we can control or fix ourselves. We want to trust you with it. Most of the time, Lord, it's uh, an issue because we feel like you're not operating according to our timeline. You're not moving as quickly or as completely as we would like for you to. And so we remember from December that waiting is important and so we open our hands and trust you. For some of us, Lord, it's because we believe we just know better. And so we openly admit that. And we instead say that we trust you. So Lord, search us and know us. We pray that your love would be central. We pray all of this declaring this truth that there is no condemnation for us. We find ourselves in Christ, your son, full of love, unconditional, complete, and that you desire so much more for us. And so we move toward it without fear. And as we do so, Lord, we ask that we would find the freedom that you have desired for us. Freedom from the chains of judging others or expectations, freedom from all kinds of things that would keep us stuck in our walk with you. As we find that freedom, we also find that it comes with a sense of purpose. Help us to use that purpose this week. And so we pray that as we endeavor to live and to love more like Jesus, that you would walk with us.